welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is on private credit and has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm David Lebowitz, global market strategist and host of the Center for Investment Excellence. With me today is Jonathan Siegel, a co-chief investment officer of Highbridge Capital Management. Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Happy to be here. So let's go ahead and jump right in. We recently released our second annual Global Alternatives Outlook, where we challenged the CEOs, CIOs, and strategists from our $146 billion alternatives platform to provide a 12- to 18-month outlook for their respective markets and explore their most promising investment ideas over that time horizon. You can access the outlook by going to www.jpmorgan.com slash altsoutlook. In this episode, we're going to focus on private credit. And so, Jonathan, to kick things off here, you look around the world today, there's approximately $13 trillion in negative yielding debt around the world. Most of this is government issued, but you're increasingly seeing more corporate issues with these negative yields. Maybe just from a 20,000-foot view, how is this rate environment of very low and in some cases negative yields, how is that affecting credit investing and the way that you go about searching for opportunities? Thanks, David. Good question. I think first you need to bifurcate between public credit and private credit. So starting with public credit, negative yielding government bonds and increasingly certain IG corporate bonds not only emphasize the impact of central bank policy actions, but may illustrate the market's concern over the health of the global economy, as well as expectations that we're approaching the end of the cycle. This is also evident in the dichotomy we're seeing in the high yield, less liquid parts of the public credit market. What do I mean by that? While some investors stretch for yield has led them to enter the higher quality, more liquid parts of the high yield market, the ratio of triple C spreads, which are the lowest rated high yield bonds, to double Bs, the highest rated high yield bonds, is approaching levels not seen in the last two decades, as investors are unwilling to take less liquid risk. Switching gears to the private credit markets. Conversely, or perhaps as a result of this environment, investors are searching for yield in other parts of the credit market, and private credit is the prime example. This is occurring even as private credit markets have more than doubled in size since the financial crisis, causing competition among managers for deals with ever-worsening terms. You know, it's really interesting when you kind of describe that broader backdrop. You talk about, you know, people kind of hesitant to take on that less liquid risk. In some cases, people looking elsewhere outside of traditional public credit markets as they try to evaluate opportunities. You know, one of the things that we've seen stem from this environment, which I think we can broadly characterize as, you know, an environment where investors are just looking high, low, far and wide for any sort of yield that they may be able to tap into, you're seeing all of this liquidity and you're seeing this liquidity lead to some pretty borrower-friendly behavior. So whether that be things like addbacks, EBITDA adjustments, covlight issuance, sponsor-backed lending, you know, there are things that I think are beginning to manifest themselves across credit markets because of all of this liquidity that may make investors a little bit nervous. So how are you thinking about investing in this type of environment where things are very friendly to the borrower? but maybe a little bit riskier for the lender? Again, it's a great question. I think you're spot on, and I think it's emblematic of the late stages of a credit cycle. So taking it hand in hand, first, the competition for deals among lenders to put considerable dry powder to work has led to, as you suggest, we see it in coupon compression, covenant erosion, and overall weaker underwriting requirements, both in traditional direct and MES lending. To 
to give an example or to give a statistic, covenant light loans represent over 80% of U.S. insurance in institutional leverage loans in 2018. This percentage has increased in every year since the financial crisis. The natural question is, so how do you avoid it? So to avoid these risks, we think it makes sense to focus on less traditional, niche parts of the market that haven't been affected by these trends. In our view, investors should look for capacity-constrained strategies in underserved parts of the market. So to give you some examples, in the public market, long-only funds generally focus on investment grade and large high-yield issues. By mandate, many of these funds typically can't invest in companies excluded from the index. Also, there's limited sell-side research coverage on these smaller capital structures, which means a manager will have to do his or her own underwriting. Finally, smaller deal sizes won't move the needle for large funds, creating opportunities for niche players. So what you see is a part of the market where you can still earn excess spread versus the risk being taken. From a private credit perspective, your traditional direct lenders and mezzanine debt funds typically don't traffic in these public markets. We also think it's important to look for managers who aren't willing to sacrifice their strong underwriting standards and who have differentiated deal sourcing capabilities away from the more crowded opportunities. Many private credit managers are competing for private equity, sponsored deals, or via competitive bank-offs, instead of sourcing investment opportunities via established relationships and the secondary market. Also, we suggest looking for managers who underwrite to the worst outcome. As an example, for our investment team, we look specifically for analysts with a restructuring background. And finally, we think it's incredibly important to look for managers with legal and structuring expertise who have the ability to write their own documents and creditor protections. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. And you mentioned 80% of issuance last year being covenant light, kind of the limited research on some of these smaller deals and some of these nichier players. I think when we have a lot of conversations around, you know, active versus passive, and it primarily exists in the equity space, but I think you can apply this to the credit space as well, where these less covered deals, these smaller bite sizes, that's really a way that people can unlock alpha in the current environment because you're not just keeping up with the Joneses, right? You're not beholden to the same deals that the large long-only players are obviously focused on. Maybe shifting gears a little bit. So we've been in this environment of very low and in some case negative rates for years at this point, and that's led to the proliferation of what we've been calling zombie companies, right? Basically companies that are in just enough money to continue operating and service their debt, but are unable to pay off this debt. And the Bank for International Settlements, the BIS, you know, they've done some work on this. They think about 12% of developed market corporations fall into this category. So you've talked a little bit about how you're avoiding some of the traps of addbacks and EBITDA adjustments and CovLite issuance. Can you talk a little bit about how you think about this zombie company dynamic and maybe more importantly for our listeners, the opportunity that you think that might create going forward, particularly for investors that can play in the distressed space? Sure. So almost unequivocally, some, and I'll emphasize the word some, of these companies will be a source of opportunity when the cycle turns. And managers will absolutely have the opportunity to do deep dive underwriting and acquire securities at distressed levels that should represent attractive risk reward. However, I would stress the focus needs to be on good companies with broken balance sheets and not bad companies with broken balance sheets. And in today's environment, there are many more of the latter, which is why we believe that you need to do substantial due diligence. Also, I'll be very quick to admit that I'm not a macro investor, but it's hard to argue that we're not in the late stages of the cycle. Everyone knows it's difficult to precisely time the market, but at the same time, you need to be invested with a manager that has the ability and flexibility to navigate across the cycle and capitalize on these market opportunities. 
So what does this mean practically speaking? It's having flexibility. You know, we like funds that have the flexibility to invest both in the fulcrum security, so that's the more junior part of the capital structure, as well as income-oriented investments at the top of the capital structure, often secured instruments. When dealing with zombie companies, we think it's important to have teams with more than just one workout guy which is often the case at direct lending firms, and instead, as I noted before, have restructuring experience across the team. And I think it really is a testament to having the right people in place, because I would agree with you as a macro guy that we probably are headed into the twilight of this cycle. I think a lot of folks have been saying late cycle for a while, and we've been not wrong, but maybe just a little bit early. And really that idea of focusing on flexibility and income across the capital structure, I think is a really interesting way to think about the opportunity set going forward. Maybe one final question to kind of bring it home. You know, we've talked about being later on in the cycle. You've talked about how some companies will be an opportunity, right? The good ones with broken balance sheets versus the bad ones with broken balance sheets. Zooming out and thinking about the industry broadly, you know, we're seeing investors being forced to take on more and more risk to hit return targets, right? To maybe own some of those bad companies with broken balance sheets in an effort and a hope that things will work out. But what you're seeing across the hedge fund industry broadly is a bit of a paradigm shift. You know, funds are closing, volatility is changing, the structure of volatility is changing. I mean, I think back to the sell-off in December of 2018, and while it was equity market related, the bounce back there, I mean, you just wouldn't have seen that. 10 years ago. It's a very different market from a technical standpoint at this juncture. You're seeing more people use longer duration vehicles. You're seeing a lot of people not necessarily loan with an eye on getting their money back. You're seeing them kind of loan to own and they're just going to roll it over when all is said and done after three, four, five years. So can you talk to us a little bit about your outlook for the industry broadly and what you think that means for investors? I mean, clearly the ground is shifting beneath our feet to an extent and would love your thoughts on what that means and how things may evolve going forward. Yeah, I mean, there's no question the hedge fund industry has seen a substantial evolution and a number of fund closures. If you look back, it started with long short equity as passive and quant investing overtook traditional active long short. More recently this year, we're seeing closures in very well-established traditional multi-strategy hedge funds and credit managers. The driver of that, some of it has been returns, And in other instances, the manager has just decided no longer to pursue the initiative, given how frustrating it can be with the passive money in the space. So what does it mean practically again? And who will be the beneficiary? I think that's arguably the most important thing for an investor. It's causing short-term negative technicals, certainly in the credit markets and less liquid instruments, where we're seeing illiquidity and increased volatility. Ultimately, our view is the survival of the fittest. In other words, these dislocations are clearly creating opportunities for managers who will be going concerns. For instance, pronounced price dislocations versus fundamental value not only creates an attractive entry point, compelling risk-reward, but also increases the likelihood of pursuing a corporate action, which is a highly alpha-centric event. As we approach the end of the cycle, our view is that there's absolutely a place in investors' portfolios for more liquid, diversifying hedge fund vehicles. Now, they have to do what they say they're going to do. Let's be transparent. But if you find managers that focus on niche markets, if you find managers that adhere to relative value principles, that focus on alpha, and focus on their vol and correlation, there should be a place for that in an investor's portfolio. At the same time, within the private credit space, we're firm believers that the nichier parts of that market that are less crowded, less competition, are attractive. And in particular, given where we are in the credit cycle, it's a manager, to your point, that can 
focus on capital appreciation in more junior parts of the capital structure, as well as originate or make a new money top of the capital structure investment to generate income. Excellent. Well, I think as always, but perhaps now more than ever, the devil is really in the details when it comes to the outlook for credit markets and kind of unearthing some of those opportunities that we know continue to exist, but are becoming increasingly challenging to find given the longevity of this economic expansion. So with that, Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us on the Center for Investment Excellence. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on J.P. Morgan's Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes anywhere podcasts are available and on our website. Recorded on January 21st, 2020. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This document is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase and & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our privacy policies at https colon slash slash am dot slash global slash privacy. This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, UK, Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. 
in other European jurisdictions by JP Morgan Asset Management Europe S. A. Grave RL, in Hong Kong by JP Morgan Asset Management, Asia Pacific, Limited, or JP Morgan Funds, Asia, Limited, or JP Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Asia, Limited, in Singapore by JP Morgan Asset Management, Singapore, Limited, Company, Reg. No. 197,601,586K. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. In Taiwan by JP Morgan Asset Management. Taiwan, Limited. In Japan by JP Morgan Asset Management. Japan, Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association. Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association. Type 2 Financial Instruments Firms Association and the Japan Securities Dealers Association and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency. Registration Number Kanto Local Finance Bureau. Financial Instruments Firm. Number 330. In Australia to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001. CTH by JP Morgan Asset Management. Australia. Limited. ABN 55143832080, AFSL 376919, in Brazil by Banco JP, Morgan SA, in Canada for institutional clients use only by JP Morgan Asset Management, Canada Inc., and in the United States by JP, Morgan Institutional Investments, Inc., member of FINRA, JP, Morgan Investment Management, Inc. or JP. Morgan Alternative Asset Management, Inc. In APIC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan and Singapore. For all other markets in APIC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2020 JP Morgan Chase & Company All Rights Reserved.